Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us for the Genesis Gathering. It's good to have you with us. Hey, this is uh, kind of a special Sunday in a number of ways. First of all, we've pulled everything back into my home for the recording this morning due to a number of circumstances. We're letting our uh, worship leaders take a Sunday off. Um, of course, this is Super Bowl Sunday, so everybody's kind of ramping up for that, and we know who's going to win that. And <laughs> and uh, I'm going to be watching it myself. And then just a, a crazy past 24 hours, I can't give you or share with you all of the details, but I can tell you that uh, we've been up. Uh, we've had some late hours. We've had some early morning hours, and uh, it's it's been exciting to see what's uh what, what God is doing with his kingdom. You, you know, Jesus said that the kingdom of God suffers violent, violence, excuse me, and the violent sees it by force. Now, in the circles I've run with and that I grew up in, that was always interpreted to, interpreted to be an aggressiveness. Um, and I, I think taken to an extreme, of course, that can be an excuse for a lot of different things, even things that we've seen here in the previous weeks with uh, Christian nationalism and so forth. I, I, want to, I, I, I want to say categorically that I, um, that I am not in agreement with that sort of interpretation or that expression of that idea that Jesus spoke. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent sees it by force. What he's talking about there is the, the power of the incarnation and how that his coming to introduce the kingdom was something that changed the entire universe for all of humanity. And that was passionate. It was full of the love of God and the passion of God. And those who believe, those who open their hearts to the kingdom of God and what God is doing in this age, what God has been doing since uh, since the day that days that Jesus walked on the earth, are going to experience a a, a what do I want to say? A, a clashing of ideas, a, a clashing of desires, a, a clashing of kingdoms. And he's not telling us to take up arms. He's telling us to get ready for the most passionate, the most loving, the most exciting, uh, the most disturbing, the most intimate, the most influential. Uh, time that we have ever had in humanity, which was when he introduced the kingdom of God, and it clashed with the kingdom of darkness. And, and so God, by his power, is ripping you out of everything that compromises God's will for you and placing you in the kingdom of his dear son. And that can at time times be aggressive and passionate and, and full of emotion, but praise God, it, it is never, it is never outside the boundaries of God's love, for God is love. Well, I've been going on. That's not even my message for today. Listen, 
uh, it, whether you're watching by uh, website or by Facebook, there's a link up in your URL where you can copy that and fire that off to a friend. Invite them, join, uh, ask them to join you this morning in watching. You don't want to miss this third part of our new series called Voices. We're going to go back into the Old Testament and look at the life uh, and, and the ministry of Elijah for a few moments this morning. And, and one of the most, I mean, even, even non-Christ followers have heard of this passage that we're going to talk about this morning. It's quoted widely, and yet it's misquoted by so many. And, and I, I know I have misapplied it in my own life. We're going to take a fresh look at it this morning. But before we do, I want to worship together with you. Victory is ours through Christ. Victory is ours. Let's worship together. I'm going to see a victory. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. No, my God will never fail. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. Oh. There's power in the mighty name of Jesus. Every war he wages, he Backing down from any giant Cause I know how this story is Yes, I know how this story is I'm gonna see a victory I'm gonna see a victory For the turn it for good you turn it for good you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good 
took what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it to good. That is the story of Elijah. That is the story of your life. If you are founded on the rock, Jesus Christ, God takes what our enemy means for evil and he turns it to good. Hallelujah. Listen, at the close of the service today, we're going to be praying for those requests that come into us. So please send us your requests. Let us know uh, that you have something that you'd like us to cover in prayer this morning. Also, I want to make you aware of just a couple of things. If you would like to give into the ministry here, you can do so from our website by clicking on the donate button. It's located on several different pages, but right on the home page, you can find it in the lower right-hand corner. You can also text us. Uh, just text the word give to 720, and I'm going to forget this number, so we will put it up for you in a little bit. But we do have a text to give where you just type in the word give, you send it to our special number. I don't have it on the screen in front of me, and then um, uh, you can give that in that manner as well. We want to remind you about the... Uh, uh, Bible study that we're doing via Zoom. Nina is spearheading this, 
She's using Rob Bell's book, Love Wins. So it's the Love Wins Zoom Bible Study every other Thursday. And this Thursday is her Thursday. All right. It starts at seven o'clock. It goes for one hour. Please text us, write to us, email us, let us know that you're interested in joining the book study. You don't have to have been here for the previous weeks. You can jump in at any time. Obviously, we encourage you for the sake of consistency and understanding what's going on uh, to, to be there every week that you possibly can, all right? Um, I think with that, I'm, I'm going to get into the Word of God this morning, okay? Well, um, I want to talk to, this is part three of our series on what I've called voices. I <laughs> I hear voices. Did you know it's godly to hear voices? And I'm entitling this morning's message, Presence in Your Desert. Presence in Your Desert. Byline, get this now, byline, humility on your mountain. Humility on your mountain. You know, last week we, we talked about a, a very special passage uh, in the New Testament having to do with the transfiguration of Jesus and how that two Old Testament characters appeared to Jesus with Jesus and held a conversation with him. And three of Jesus's disciples were watching this. Jesus had taken them up to the mountain to pray. Jesus was praying and all of a sudden uh, the glory of God comes. Uh, it lights up everything. It lights up their clothes. Their hair was just white with glory. And, and Moses and Elijah, the prophet, appear and have a conversation with Jesus. The three disciples are watching this. And we talked about the message of that passage being that when the voice, it says, when the disciples heard the voice, when the disciples heard that voice, and the cloud of glory passed, they saw Jesus only. And that's a message to us that no matter what we pursue in life or how great your mountain or your glory or your goals or your objectives in life, if it has to do with God, then Jesus is always going to be at the center of it. And there's some things we need to let go of in favor of Jesus being at the center of it. Listening to God's voice, discerning and hearing God's voice will always result in one central outcome, Jesus at the center. All right. And if it doesn't, then it's not God's voice. Go back and listen to that message from last week if you've not had a chance to hear it yet. Again, and it's interesting that uh, Moses and Elijah appear with Christ. And now this week, we're going to talk about another passage of Scripture where Elijah, the prophet that appeared with Moses to Jesus, winds up on a mountain once again. And we're going to look at what happened. So let me give you a little bit of the backstory here. And I'm going to borrow from Rabbi Mike Commons or Commons. Rabbi Mike Commons' summary of this passage of Scripture. Listen as I read it to you now. Elijah lives in the northern kingdom of Israel during the reign of Ahab, the king who, quote, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Ahab had married a Phoenician princess named Jezebel, who established the cult of Baal in the palace and persecuted the Israelite prophets of God. Elijah informs Ahab of God's displeasure with a threat. 
A drought will ensue until Elijah, on God's behalf, announces the coming rain. This is in chapter 17 of 1 Kings. Elijah, fleeing the king's wrath, hides in a desert canyon above the Jordan Valley. There he is miraculously fed by ravens until the drought dries up all of his own water supply. He moves to Phoenicia, where he and his household once again are fed in a supernatural fashion. God finally commands Elijah to return to Israel, where he challenges the prophets of Baal to a famous contest on Mount Carmel. And this is chapter 18. And if, if you're a Bible student or if you've read the Bible or listened to uh, many messages or sermons, you know about this very famous battle of the prophets and between Baal and the Lord that happened on Mount Carmel. King Ahab and the people of Israel gather to see whose sacrifice will be accepted, that of Elijah or the prophets of Baal. This is Elijah at his best. He's angry, he's daring, he's dramatic. And the fire of God descends from the heavens, consuming Elijah's offering. Adonai, he is God, shout the people. Under Elijah's command, they slaughter all the prophets of Baal. And then rain falls shortly thereafter. The text tells us that the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah in chapter 18, verse 45. And with supernatural strength, he runs before Ahab's chariot like a racehorse as the king is returning to the palace to inform his wife Jezebel and his staff that all the prophets of Baal have been slaughtered. It's hard to imagine a more graced or gifted person than Elijah. Elijah is God's right-hand man, the people's hero, and the king's herald. What a backstory, huh? And we pick it up then in verse or in chapter 19, starting with verses 1 through 3. I'm going to read them to you. Grab your Bible. Turn to 1 Kings. Go ahead, grab your Bible right now. First Kings, I'm not going to have scriptures up on the, uh, on the screen for you today. It was just, you know, a little much for one person to take care of all of this as we're doing this morning. And so grab your Bibles. Let's look together. First Kings chapter 19. Now, I'm going to wait just a second on you. That was the second. First Kings chapter 19. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel, everything that Elijah had done and how he killed all of the prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. And Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life when he came to Beersheba in Judah, and he left his servant there. Imagine this now. We've heard about the Jezebel spirit. You don't even have to be a Christian to have heard of the Jezebel spirit, all right? Now, this is not a feminine quality. This is not an assignment just to 
uh, females, this is an assignment because it's a spirit. This is a manipulative, controlling spirit that can come on men and on women. It can enter into any organization. And it's especially prevalent in governmental organizations, educational organizations, where there's rule, where there's authority structures, and certainly the church. So this Jezebel spirit that's controlling and manipulative, she totally is, is controlling Ahab's kingdom. She runs the show, not Ahab. She fires back and she says to Elijah, I'm giving you 24 hours and you'll be dead. Now, he's in such fear that he takes off. He runs. Imagine that. The man who just called fire from heaven and burned up the sacrifice and slaughtered all of the prophets of Baal. Angry, courageous, demonstrative, is now on the run because of a controlling spirit speaking death threats to him. And in verses 4 through 8, we're told that God supernaturally provides for Elijah, not once, but twice. And then he winds up in a desert cave. He's on the run, and he winds up in a cave 40 days later of running. He winds up in a cave, listen, on Mount Sinai. Now, depending on your translation, you might see Mount Horeb there, verse 8, 1 Kings chapter 19. Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb are the same mountain. Now, does Mount Sinai strike, strike uh, any memories in your mind? Does it sound familiar to you? Of course it does. That's where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. That's where Moses went up the mountain. And the fire of God and the earthquakes and the wind and the rocks breaking open. And God speaks to Moses and gives him the Ten Commandments. That's where that happened, on Mount Sinai. So here's Elijah fleeing for his life. He winds up in a cave on Mount Sinai. And he hears this big voice. And there is a big question. I'm going to share it here with you. There... He went into a cave and spent the night. And the Lord appears to Elijah, and the word of the Lord came to him. Listen, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, this cave that he's lodged in, it is suggested by many of the Hebraic scholars to be the actual cleft in the rock where Moses hid himself. In fact, the scripture says that the Lord hid Moses in the cleft of the rock while he passed by so that Moses couldn't look upon God's countenance and see him, for no man can look upon the Lord and live, at least at that time. So Moses was hid in the cleft of the rock. Again, Hebraic scholars say that that's the very cave that Elijah is in. Think about it. Think about the glory. Think about the impressions and the thoughts and the memories. I mean, Elijah's a, a, a student 
uh, of Moses. He certainly studied the prophet Moses. He's a student of the Torah, and, and he knows well the law of God. And, and so he's he's thinking about all of this. Well, here I am. I, I'm running for my life, but now I've made it to the very cave where God showed up to Moses and showed himself in miraculous splendor and the fire and the earthquakes and the wind. And then a big question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Imagine that. God putting him on the spot, questioning his motive, questioning why he ran. Now, the consensus of most Bible scholars, most Bible teachers, if you go out and, and look into the commentaries, you'll find pretty much a consensus that this questioning was God calling Elijah on the carpet for his lack of faith and the fact that he should have been back in uh, back with the nation of Israel being a prophet rather than being out in the desert of Sinai. But there's really something that lacks with that interpretation of it. And we find it here as we begin to dissect and unpack this question, what are you doing here? Now, Elijah responds to God's question in verse 10, and he says this, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put the prophets to death with a sword. I only am left, and now they're trying to kill me too. In other words, God, it's your fault that I'm here. <laughs> I was obeying you, things were good, and then you, you, you had me call out the prophets, you had me call down fire, you had me kill all the prophets of Baal, I was walking in the anointing, I was doing great things for you. And then they began to threaten my life. They were going to kill me. That Jezebel, that Jezebel was after me, and I took off. And I'm out here hiding because of your glory, I'm out here hiding because I was trying to be obedient to you. <laughs> Here's verse 11 and verse 12. And the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now, does that sound familiar? Well, of course it does. This is, this is the exact same wording of what took place on Sinai in the cleft of the rock when God got ready to pass by Moses. Then a great powerful wind tore the mountains apart and it shattered the rocks before the Lord. Watch, but the Lord was not in the wind. I'm reading from verse 11 and verse 12 of 1 Kings chapter 19. But the Lord wasn't in this wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. Imagine that. Now keep in mind, Elijah's made it to the cave knowing this is, I, I think he knew and, and certainly had the expectation, this was the place where ancestry was blessed. They experienced the power of God, the earthquakes of God, the miracle glory of God, the wind. And, and so when that began to happen, I'm sure he said, man, it's happening. I'm back. I'm back. I'm, I'm going to go back in power. God, God's probably going to translate me back in power and in glory. 
But the scripture says God wasn't in any of that. And then verse 12 ends with this. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. A gentle whisper. A gentle whisper. Just a whisper. In fact, I can't even do into the microphone what's really happening here. Now, we've always thought of this as just a very, very low, low voice, and that what we need to do then to hear God is to get quiet, but that's not what's happening here. Now, keep in mind, Elijah is running. He's now in the cave of revelation. He's now on the mountain of glory and miraculous manifestations. And his expectation is a new revelation. Approval, approbation, confirmation, fresh assignment. Some of you have been there. I've been there. And yet, God wasn't in any of those big mountain expressions. He was in a gentle, quiet voice, a small, gentle whisper. Let's unpack this in the Hebrew. Still, small voice, King James says. One translation says, a tiny whispering sound. Another translation says, the sound of a light whisper. But Abraham Joshua Herschel's literal rendering of this Hebraic phrase is, quote, a voice of silence. Did you know that silence has a voice? <laughs> the voice of silence. God's voice, God's affirmation, God's pursuit. It's not in the wind. It's not in the earthquake. It's not in the fire. All three of these were present on Sinai for Moses. But here, what Elijah is experience, experiencing is a voice of silence. Now, I tried to imagine what silence sounds like. And I started thinking about my headphones. I have some noise-canceling Bose headphones. Primo. Primo. It's what I put on when I want to listen, listen to concert music. It's what I want to put on. See, my, my office just is down the hall from the from the family room where the main television is. So when the television's being watched, I can hear all of that. If the dogs are barking, I can hear all of that. If the phone's ringing, I can hear all of that, see? And, and I don't have a way to just close the door and close it off, but I can put on my Bose noise-canceling headphones. Woo! I can turn that puppy up. But you know what? Truth is, even when the music goes completely silent, I can still hear things. I can still hear sounds outside of that silence. Plus, after a while, they begin to press on my ears. They get a little tight, you know, a little uncomfortable. I want to take them off or shift them around. It's not comfortable. But that's not what God's talking about here. It's not that kind of silence. I thought about the time that I was up in a mountain meadow all by myself. I wasn't with anybody. 
I went up just to get away from everything. I went as far as I could and stay safe. It was a spring summer, warm. And I got out in this meadow where all there was was trees and this opening. And I found a rock and I sat down. Nobody there, nobody for miles. And I thought, this is silence. This is the voice of God. But you know what? I could hear crackling in the branches and the leaves. I could hear birds. <laughs> the wind would blow and it'd shift the trees. I could hear that swaying. I could hear all kinds of noise. This was not silence. This was not the sound of silence that Elijah experienced. The silence being spoken of here can only be experienced in very few places anywhere in the world, and I can't say that I've ever experienced it. But the Sinai Desert is one of those places. Because when you get out in the Sinai, where there is nothing, a great much of the time, for at least half a day, the wind will grow still. Now, I know this after studying after Rabbi Mike Cummins and, and others about the typography and the geography and uh, what, and, and Pastor, uh, excuse me, Rabbi Mike has actually led uh, groups of people out into the Sinai Desert and into parts and around the Sinai mountain area and done tours. And so, and, and he studied there, and so he knows well the area and knows that that Sinai Desert, when the wind stops, can get so quiet that you hear nothing. Listen, you hear nothing but the sound of silence. You can hear your own breathing. And you begin to look inward and you begin to see. And you begin to hear the question, what are you doing here? Now, in verse 13, it says this, when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood in the mouth of the cave. And then the voice said to him, second time now, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Don't you think that was frustrating for Elijah to hear a second time? He had, he had heard it back in verse 9. Why are you here? And then things begin to settle down. Then, then he experiences all the miraculous and the, the waves and the fire and the earthquake. And the, it says that the mountain rocks were shattering with God's presence as it went by. And yet the Lord wasn't in any of that. I wonder if we're guilty in our effort to pursue God's voice of getting sidetracked into thinking that God's voice, even when we get quiet, our expectation is the earthquake, the fire, the wind, the miracles, people falling over, people getting healed. I heard something very 
interesting this past week. Uh, two different Christians were talking. One one Christian in particular was was encouraging this other Christian, and uh, the one Christian was in need of some help. And uh, this Christian, and here's the phrase. Listen to me. I overheard this, and it, and it so caught my attention. This Christian that was offering the encouragement said, yeah, you should go because you need to get where God is moving. I used to think that way. Elijah was thinking that way. I need to get where God is moving. Well, sorry for all the rest of you. Sorry for all the churches that don't believe just the way you and I do. Sorry for all the meetings where though those particular beliefs aren't in operation. <laughs> sorry for you that are just having your quiet devotional or you're out on a walk with the dogs and you're just burying your heart before the Lord. You know, God's not really in that. You need to get where God is moving, which, of course, the whole implication of was uh, of that was in certain meetings with certain big name preachers and and the power happening and the mountain shaking and the rock shattering and i thought oh god i'm 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 so thankful i don't live there anymore i'm so thankful that i i i i know you better <laughs> i don't know you perfectly i'm learning but i know you better than to think that way and to believe that way. Thank you for setting me free. Why are you here? Why is God asking him this again? In the Hebrew, the rabbis tell us that literally translated, that phrase actually says this, what is for you here, Elijah? What is for you here, Elijah? No fire, no crowds, no applause, no clapping approval, no audience being whipped into a frenzy, no wind, no earthquake, no fire to bring outstanding revelation, just desert silence, listening to the silence of your own breath. And I love what Rabbi Mike says about this. He says, if, if I were to translate this phrase as an expression in relationship to the desert of Sinai, I would write it this way. Who are you here, Elijah? Who are you here, Elijah? I want to ask you a question. Are you in a valley? Or do you feel you're on the mountaintop? Have you been pursuing the, quote, still small voice of the Lord? Expecting miracles and power and the rock shattering and the wind and the earthquake, expecting applause, expecting to get back to the way it was? I actually am so thankful for the hour in which we are living. And I'm thankful that this whole thing that's fallen upon the earth with COVID 
it is not just an American thing or experience, but it happened globally. Because frankly, I don't think the ecclesia of Jesus Christ is going to return to the way it was. And personally, I don't want it to. I want to hear a new sound of silence. I want God to take me into that place of Sinai. I want him to put me in the cleft where I question everything I believe, where I question everything I thought holy, everything I thought God was in, that clearly now I know he's vacated. He's not in that anymore. You see, when you're pursuing the still small voice, the whole point of it is to take the me, the I, out of the center, out of control, and say, Jesus, here I am. Jesus, here I am. As we said last week, when the voice stops, all they could see was Jesus. How about you? Have you felt like you're in the valley? Have you felt like you're on the way to the mountain? Have you, do you feel like somehow you're in the cleft of the rock, you're on the mountaintop, and yet things haven't been clear? Is it possible that God is bringing you into a new hour of learning just silence, humility, and that the silence of God's presence has never been closer than it is right now in your pain, in your suffering, it's never been closer than it is right now in our own nation where there's such division and cries for it all to stop and for unity and please could we take a breath. See, I don't think God has been absent from all of this. I think God, through the supernaturalness of his love, is drawing us to a new place in the cleft of the rock where the only thing that's left is the voice of our own breath as we judge ourselves in the light of his love and find ourselves lacking in humility, lacking in putting him first.
Well, we have received a couple of prayer requests, and I want to pray over those now. Mary has sent us a request. They're still, um, uh, she wants us to pray for finding Graham. They're actually using a drone right now, uh, flying over a lake. Apparently, the drone has picked up um, and had senses of a, of a body uh, on the premises there or in the lake somehow. And uh, so that search continues today. Let, let's pray for the mother, Graham's mother and, and sister. I can only imagine uh, the desperation and um, the pain of uh, feeling like they've lost Graham. So uh, let's pray. Let's, let's just, we'll take these one at a time, okay? We have another and uh, then we're going to close our time together. Father, we, we pray over this family and whatever has happened here to Graham. We don't know if he's uh, uh, gone, if he's alive, uh, or what this condition is. Father, we, we could only hope for a miracle here in your love that, that somehow he could be brought back to this family. Lord, uh, I pray for the family. Lord, there just isn't any way for us, I guess, to relate. I certainly can't even relate to the pain, the shock uh, that this family's going through right now, Father. So we, we lift up this uh, Graham's family, in particular his mother, his sister, and all of those that are involved to you. We ask you to bring them close to your heart, touch them, have mercy on them, O oh God, and... Uh, we, we pray for a quick resolve and outcome here to this search that's going on. Have mercy, O oh God. And uh, then Deborah has asked for healing and God's plan. Uh, this is uh, prayer for Deborah. I don't know if Deborah's submitting this, but it's prayer for Deborah who's been diagnosed with cancer. So Deborah, if you're watching, you know, uh, Cancer is <clears throat> an evil that's uh, just the word of it is shocking and, and rips at the very fiber of all that we are. And certainly just like with Elijah, ran for fear of death, the threat that was on his life, this cancer has brought that same sort of fear and threat. So right now I just reach out to you in faith, Deborah, and I say, cancer you are canceled. May the power of the Holy Spirit enter your body, Deborah, and set you free of this cancer. And may it just be broken up. May, it, may the fire of God's love just burn it out. And I pray for your complete healing right now. Cancer, bow your knee to the name of Jesus. And Deborah, be set free. And may you have an, a sense of the overwhelming presence of God right now touching you. Amen. Well, everybody, I want to uh, give you that number that I didn't have earlier because people do ask us from time to time. And of course, thank you for all of you who continue to give to the ministry and to the Genesis gathering. You bless us. You've helped us so much. And um, if you desire to give, it's very simple. Take this number down, 
720-730-8510. Again, 720-730-8510. And all you need to do is enter that into your messaging app and text the word GIVE. And that will start a screen-by-screen process whereby you can give or donate. And thank you for your generous offerings. Well, beloved, uh, again, I long to see you, that I might be encouraged by your mutual faith, yours and mine, by our mutual faith, yours and mine. I long for that time where we will be able to, again, hug and love and touch and have uh, barbecues and all that uh, that you do as Ecclesia. And... Uh, the Genesis gathering is not over. If anything, God is building it. In fact, we have a, a whole new audience of individuals who have written and given, and uh, I'm looking forward to meeting some of you. I'm thinking of one individual right now that watches every week and comments and has given, and uh, I've never met you personally, and I think you know who you are right now. And uh, I love you. You've blessed our lives to each of you that are watching, those of you that just stumbled across us by Facebook. Be sure to, to share not only the link on Sundays, we're here every Sunday live stream. We are also open again to the public, so you can join us at the sanctuary there at St. John's where we co-locate, 1030 is our service. We do observe social, excuse me, social distancing rules. Uh, but another thing that you can do is after the service is over, and sometimes it's that evening or the next day, this message will be up on our internet site, up on our website for you to be able to share, listen to again, or share with a friend. So be sure to do that. I hear the sound of silence, and it's, it's never been more beautiful to me to take seriously, Micah 3.8, what doth he require of thee, O man, but to walk humbly, to do or to love mercy, right, and to do justly. May that be our mantra. May that find us in this cleft of the rock where we stop seeking that which is glorious and big and miraculous and powerful and the wind and the earthquakes. We take the eye out of the center of this and we humble ourselves in his presence to accept his direction and his bidding. Until we see you next week, God bless you and thank you for joining us today.